Hi, Julie. Hi. Welcome back to Behind Our Door. Welcome. Our podcast. I know. How was your day today? My day was good. Good. My day was good. Good. I feel like uh, looking forward to this. Looking forward to getting back on, uh, back into our conversations. I know. They're, they're always so educational for me. Yes. You have taught me so much over the years. Yeah, same here, Julie. Same here. Hopefully everyone else will learn from us. I know. So what, do we, what should we talk about today? Uh, I think today is a good day to talk about how do you know? How do I know what? How do you know? So <laughs> how do you, last time you mm-hmm. mentioned that your son was five when you realized he really had some issues that were above and beyond someone that has too much energy and is, uh, you know, definitely a little getting to be more of an issue of just uh, of problems in school or pre, well, I guess not something school out at that of the point. Quote but, but how did you how did you know what sparked you to pick up the phone in the first place to even start getting help? Well, um, looking back, um, I. I think I knew when he was very young, like two and three years old. You know how children go through their temper tantrum. Yeah, they say the terrible twos. Right. Well, I felt like my son had that, but it was like Mach 10. Um, I called him the Tasmanian devil. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember? Now I'm aging myself. (laughs) You remember Mm -hmm. the Tasmanian devil? You would go through and rip apart. Well, that was my son at a really little age. And I remember holding him on my arms and I don't remember what the conversation was about but probably something simple can I have and I said the word no and that set him off and he hit me in the head with a toy and it hurt so bad um I was seeing stars so I thought to myself gosh these are not quote-unquote I hate using the word normal but Mm -hmm. normal child behaviors not that I had any children to compare them to but I did a lot of babysitting as a, as a young girl, even into early adulthood. I have a lot of cousins and nieces and nephews, and I had never seen a child have so much anger at such a such a young age. Yeah, it, before it, before the world starts around around him. Yes, yes. So there there were a multitude of things that were happening. Um, he would have these rage episodes anytime I would say the word no. He would not go to sleep at night. I could not get him to fall asleep like a normal kid. You put him in bed, you read him a book. None of that was happening for me. Um, Eventually what I started to do was just turn off all the lights and sit on the couch and wait for him to pass out wherever he did. And then I would carry him into bed. I mean, it it was quite scary for me at the time. I was like, is this child ever going to sleep? Am I ever going to sleep? Yeah, it's scary enough. It's tough enough. I mean, just adjusting to having a child to take care of that when you have these extra hours put in. Right. So then um, as he got a little bit older into school age, and I'm talking kindergarten, so not a lot older, he started to get in trouble all the time. He was swearing, calling the teacher swear word names and I was totally embarrassed. I mean, mortified. That wasn't something I was teaching him at home. I didn't know where he was getting it from. You have to remember back then, um, we didn't have these iPads and tablets and phones, so we couldn't access information that way. So I was really at a loss of where he was getting this information from and why he was spewing out this angry, hateful stuff. Um, 
at night he would have these raging night terrors. He would wake up, and I don't know if people are familiar with... Are you familiar with a night terror compared to a nightmare, like a nightmare you get jolted? You're just, yeah, just from um, people that it's kind of the same thing. They're saying they're realizing they have to get some help for a young kid is that it's a whole different thing than just waking up with a bad dream. Right. He would wake up screaming like the house was on fire and wow. wake me up out of a dead sleep and start banging his head off the wall. And I was... I was mortified. I was so scared for him, and he wouldn't calm down. Like, the more you touch him, um, the more active he got. It, I compare it to having, and I'm, I'm not a clinician by far, but um, to having some type of seizure. Mm -hmm. um, so you can't really intervene. You kind of have to let it play its course. And his tantrums, which if you ever asked my mother, I was the best tantrum thrower growing up <laughs> <laughs> for hours. But his really would go on and on and on. He would not give up. He would not stop. Um, and it, it seemed to me at the time that it was qu quite like a seizure. Um, and I, when you use the word as a mother, scary, it's a gut, you know, a feeling like this is just not the usual Absolutely not. Absolutely no. Because normally children get mad and pout and cry and and then they get over it. But he just never seemed to really get over anything. Um, and I remember a specific story with him at the age of about seven or eight. We were driving in the car and we were arguing over getting a toy or candy, something very simplistic. And I said to him the word no, and he was so angry, screaming at me and screaming at me, he opened the door and jumped out. Wow. Yeah. And I saw my life flash before my eyes. It was so scary. Um, so obviously I pulled over, stopped the car, went to go get him, um, you know, coaxed him back into the car, which took hours and hours, and then he finally calmed down and... The, the odd thing for for my son was a lot of it, once it was over, it was over. I call it like... That's why you say like a seizure. Or yeah. Just... It was like flipping a switch. Mm -hmm. My son would tear apart the house, throw the garbage cans, throw things at me. And then all of a sudden when it was over, he would turn around and say, I'm really hungry. Can we go to lunch? <laughs> like it never happened. So my emotional roller coaster was trying to keep up with his emotional roller coaster. Um, the first place I went, obviously, was school, right? Uh, you you want to ask school, like, help me. I don't know what's happening. So was this back when he was, when you say five, like kindergarten? Yes, You kindergarten. started asking questions in school then? Yes. Uh -huh, great. And they didn't, they didn't have a whole lot of answers at the time. Um, yeah, things have changed. A lot. You know, a lot. <laughs> a lot. Um, so I had to learn to listen to my instincts and just keep going. So, like I said, in our last podcast that I went to the pediatrician who in turn put my son on ADHD medication mm -hmm. um, and for us that made the situation worse oh really yes um, I remember him smashing his finger in the door because he was slamming it screaming it really got out of control he was angry all the time all the time um, so then I also talked to the pediatrician pretty extensively. At the time, they were talking about red dye. Remember the big, oh, don't right. have red dye in anything. 
it causes ADHD. That's right. So I um, read. And there were a lot of dietary. Yes, red dye. Uh, and warnings coming up. Dairy were was a big thing back then. So I eliminated all those products. I started making all his food organically before there was whole foods. Yeah, really. That was. Um, it, it was. It, it was, was a big task. I can but tell I do you remember that. when all of a sudden there was a realization that it did matter what somebody ate. You know that that the, in those early years, yes. diet does matter. Yes, sugar. Mm-hmm. So we had nothing bad in our home. Nothing. I eliminated everything. I cooked every single day, every meal. Wow. It was very <laughs> rare. I know it was a lot of work being a single parent. Um, and then I took him to this fancy, bougie vitamin clinic, right? Because they were gonna they were gonna save his life in mm-hmm. my mind. Like <laughs> this is it. So they do a big blood test and they come back and they say, oh, well, your son is sensitive to A, B, C, and D. I don't even remember what it was, but now he's about seven years old or eight years old. And they're like, he has to take all these vitamins. (laughs) Well, there had to be 15 vitamins twice a day for such a little person to take so many. And they, they were like those big horse pills, Um, you know, and it, Insurance didn't cover it. I think it cost back then. It was like five thousand oh, dollars. Yeah. Wow. I mean, is is there some reality to that? Sure, I'm sure there is. But at the time, to get a small child to take that many vitamins. Yeah, I was just going to ask you that. Would he take them? N- no. I mean, how'd you do that? You can't hide those. No. <laughs> but, but he did. But he did hide stuff. I used to find it in his toy box under his bed. No, he was not. It was too much for him. Mm-hmm. So we. We went on the search. You know, we went to a major hospital that dealt with children. He, too, diagnosed him with ADHD and ODD. That was the first diagnosis, you know, oppositional defiance disorder. Um, And he put him on, again, different ADHD meds. And, you know, I'm not opposed to medication, and I just really wanted to find a more natural path. But unfortunately, Everything I tried was not helping him. And especially you noticed as a mother that the, in the beginning, the pediatrician prescribed something that was making him worse. It takes, you know, you can't just think, okay, a doctor prescribed this, it'll work. You, you noticed it was making him worse. Absolutely. You have to be your child's best advocate, Definitely. right? Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think oftentimes um, when I talk to parents or have conversations, I always say just because they have some initials behind their name does not make them an expert. Mm-hmm. And looking back, I obviously I wish I would have done things a little differently. But if if my child had diabetes or my child had cancer or my child had epilepsy, would I have taken them to the pediatrician for a diagnosis? Maybe, mm-hmm. but would I have continued with the pediatrician? No. So you have to seek people who have expertise in yeah, that specialist yes in in those fields whatever it is so this second doctor who is supposed to be a world-renowned um neurologist prescribed him more medication and the situation just got worse um so much so that i was afraid that he was going to be expelled from school he used to take the bus to school they weren't letting him get on the bus anymore i mean it was really causing havoc in my life i'm I'm so grateful to this day for my parents and for my family members and friends that stepped up to drive him to school, pick him up, take him. And I was still trying to maintain a normal childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, I had him in sports. Um, 
I took him to the carnival or the circus or monster truck or whatever happened to be going on at the time. But every time I took him, I always had to have a backup plan because there was always that moment that I thought he could have a meltdown and we're going to have to get out of here. Wow, it like, so like an exhausting. emergency. Yes. So exhausting, this whole thing. It was. I Even though, it. thank God for family. I know. <laughs> I mean, you have to have that emergency backup plan at all times. If I went to a party with my parents or um, my other family members, we drove separately just in case because you didn't know. I feel like your story is like this mountain of lit. The list just gets bigger and bigger and mm-hmm. bigger. And you don't know any better in a way to know how exhausting this whole thing is getting. No, because there was nothing up there. And no one ever said to me, like, the words mentally ill. No one ever said that. No one ever said anything outside of ADHD and now this ODD diagnosis. So fast forward, it it took me about five years. You name the doctor and the test, we did it. We did um, everything that I could think of, anything that was available out there. I feel like the poor kid was like an alien. He had Mm. so many tests. Um, And then we finally landed upon, which I referenced a little bit in our last podcast, this clinical study that was being conducted by a hospital that had just started this program for adolescents and mood disorders. And that was kind of an up-and-coming time that you're describing. Finally, these things were coming yeah, I mean, it Coming was, out. yeah, it was brand new at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we helped build it because we spent so much time and money there. Yeah, no, it's, so, um, it's great. I mean, it's so important. But I was so, I was so grateful um, for them at the time. So we went into a, what's called a blind study. Um, your child either gets medication or doesn't get medication, gets a placebo. And I knew immediately he was on the medication because just of the calmness that he had finally. So something finally worked. Yes. Someone's taking a close look at everything. Everything. And something finally worked. Yes. And they did did some brain scans to look at his brain and see how it was operating. Like that was a brand new thing I'd never heard about in my whole life. And finally the doctor came to me and they said, I think your son may have bipolar disorder. And how old is he at this point? About 10. Yeah, that, and that's a young age for that diagnosis. Yeah. Now, mind you, that was five years I had been looking. It went, yeah. But when they said bipolar, it was like a light bulb went on. But at the same time, I just started to cry. I was just going to ask, did that scare you or relieve you? Both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Both, for sure. You know, um, it's interesting. I wish I brought it with. My son actually wrote a little story about when he got diagnosed and, and how... Um, my whole world broke apart and I started crying. It was like a waterfall coming down because it's almost like the, the um, what's the word I want? The child you thought you were going to have mm-hmm. or the future you thought they were going to have may not necessarily be there anymore. Or at least it's going to take some trials and tribulations mm-hmm. to get there. You know, this I- ideology of what you think your child's going to do, you know, go to school, go to prom, go to homecoming, Mm -hmm. date, marry, all of a sudden your whole, yes, (laughs) your focus switches because now you're just living for today. Yeah. And focused on tomorrow and getting through that day. Yeah. And it's crushing. I mean, parents, you're so hypersensitive to everything with your kids. And when something big changes the 
whole future like that, you know, so at least I thought it's just at the moment crushing. I hear that from a lot of parents. It is because think about it. Who wants to have the crazy kid? No one. And then that, that was a year though, you know, when he was 10, that was not a common, common diagnosis for someone at the school not that no at that young age yeah not that I knew of I'm I mean there could have been children diagnosed but no Mm -hmm. one was talking about it the one thing that I really want to implement with him as a young child is to not be ashamed Mm -hmm. so we never kept it a secret we talked about it all the time which is amazing I didn't want him if to fear being judged or I mean, I knew he would be judged because obviously there's such stigma surrounding it, but I wanted to break through a little bit of that stigma, right? Um, I always told him, like, if you were blind, we would tell people you're blind or they would notice. So why do we have to hide it? Don't be afraid. Be proud of who you are, and we will get through this together. He's lucky. <laughs> Thank lucky you. Kid. Um, but yeah, it. I mean, it took a long time, and... and and I'd love to say, and that's the end of the story. <laughs> <laughs> and life was great after that. Um, but as you know, medications have a lot of side effects. And, and they change as someone grows. Absolutely. Their body changes and suddenly it doesn't work the same. Mm-hmm. And your hormones and mm-hmm. puberty. And so it, it was a lot going through all that because we had we were often at the doctor changing medications and changing vitamins. I was always looking for holistic alternatives and therapies. and um, Even though you didn't stay with that multitude of vitamins from right. that one particular endeavor. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but we still, you know, I one of the foundations I kept, obviously, was support groups, support groups with NAMI, um, mm-hmm. with the Balanced Mind Foundation back then. I read every book that was on the market. There were probably five at the time. <laughs> wow. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I know. That's incredible. Um, so at least now there's so many more resources. But I didn't want it to keep a secret also because I knew I wasn't the only one dealing with it. Um, and anytime I had a conversation with another parent and told them about my son, I opened Pandora's box, which I'm sure you've experienced, yeah. right? It's, you, you feel like it depends even to this day, and that was years ago. Mm-hmm. depends on who. People I, just, uh, unfortunately, the stigma has not been busted all over. No, no. And I said, I felt like we were part of a secret society, like we should have mm-hmm. our own secret yeah. handshake, because they were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're saying this. Can I ask you a question, or can I tell you something, or, you know... Um, and, and of course, I was always open to the conversation. And the other aspect of it was not only was I having to help him medically, but I had to help him through school because he was a young student and I was trying to keep him in school. I didn't want to, you know, pull him out of school. I didn't have time to homeschool him. I wouldn't even know the first way. Did he have school refusal or was he still willing to go every day? He loved school. He yeah, loved that's to go. Great. Yes. What he did in school, sometimes, I'm not really sure. Um, He made a lot of friends. A lot of people liked him. You know, the other side of um, um, bipolar disorder, which my son's diagnosed with, so I can speak specifically, is that they have this real outgoing, extroverted, fun side. And my son, yes, 
and I'm not saying that was part of his illness. It's part of his personality also. You know, he's fun and charismatic and sarcastic and funny, and he likes to make people laugh. And and when he is in a good headspace, he is the kindest soul you'll ever meet. That is yeah. so true about him. But no doubt from his his backbone, his mother. <laughs> Thank you. Being behind him. Um But the unfortunate part is, along with school, there's rules and regulations, and he Mm -hmm. was not really a good rule follower, so he was getting in trouble a lot. So then I had to learn about 504 plans and IEPs, which, you know, we can go into um, in depth at a a later podcast. Yeah, important for our listeners. It's mm -hmm. an important Important fact to know. Absolutely. School school support through these programs. Absolutely. But uh, essentially what it means is special education, right? IEPs. Mm -hmm. And I had to fight for it because school wasn't so willing to give them it. Because, again, you're dealing with with a disability that you can't see. Mm -hmm. And they always wanted to make it a behavioral issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a lot. I mean, so often... I don't think I've ever heard a parent say, oh, it was so easy to get the approval for those plans. I think every single person who I've ever come across that has had to apply for these, these program, this programming at school for their child has said it was such a fight and it's really hard. You know, it's funding, it's funding, it's staffing. Um, Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine the nightmare now having kids last year home, how that worked. But I, I know that it's a it's tough every time to prove that you need this but most important thing like you did advocate for your child absolutely stick to knowing who they are at the core right and knowing they need this well the school has the upper hand because they're legal documents right that Mm -hmm. that tell the school how they can teach your child how they can intervene with your child essentially that's what a 504 or an iep is Mm -hmm. um and I have no legal expertise, but um, so they have the upper hand. I mean, I graduated college, but I didn't go to school for law. Mm-hmm. So when you're fighting for these um, modifications, you're not sure exactly what you're fighting for because you're not really sure what is out there. Mm-hmm. So you have to educate yourself before you can even go in and or find places that do it for you. Yeah, I was just going to say that does exist out there. There are wonderful, there is wonderful support of people that do that are in the know, professionals mm-hmm. that will go to bat for for your your kid. Even though you have to have the story approved by the, <laughs> that professional too. They have to you have to really know your child. You have to really tell the story right so that you get people on your side. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And it makes a big difference down the road because then they have this special uh, side of education that really helps them into adulthood. Absolutely. They can flourish. I was mm-hmm. so thankful for that. Um, but but it's a learning curve. I didn't mm-hmm. have thousands of dollars to hire a lawyer to mm-hmm. advocate for me, so I had to learn to advocate for myself and educate myself and, you know, thank God for the Internet and mm-hmm. other parents. Really, a lot of the stuff that I've learned along the way is from other parents who are going through the same thing and just mm-hmm. happen to have older children. Mm-hmm. And they were my best allies. Yeah, that's it's so a sh- that's sharing. It's just so important. You get so much, you get relief knowing you're not alone, but you also get a lot of resources. Yeah. I mean, in just this whole topic of how do you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I also think about all of the adults 
that have that need extra help, that need someone to advocate for them. At adolescence into adulthood, whether it's something about medication or looking at an, a high school kid saying it's not a behavioral issue, don't you know you don't want to send them away to some sort of military school. I know this is not my child. You know this is this is yeah. really the most important thing on the how do you know mm-hmm. is you can find out a lot of information, but stick to knowing who this person is and why you think suddenly you have to find out the how do you know. Um, what is their real, you know, why is it that they're not themselves? And, uh, and the more specific you are and the more you don't just take no for an answer, the more you're going to get. Absolutely. Don't you think it's a little bit about trust your instincts Absolutely. too? Absolutely. And, and just sticking to it and not letting somebody talk you out of it. Right. Not, not to cut you off, but I feel like there were a lot of people back then who, because I was single and I was a young mom, mm-hmm. that blamed it on that. I mean, I even had... And also that you were working all these hours. Absolutely. And, and, uh, such neglect. I was such a neglectful parent working. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I even had some people go so far to tell me that I needed a man in my life and that would change his behavior. <laughs> That's a true story. Yikes. I know. So... <laughs> Um, but on the adult side, since you get a lot of the calls, like what, what are you seeing? How, what do you tell people who call you and ask you, you know, help me. I don't know what to do. How do you know if it's, it's a mental health issue or it's not a mental health issue? Yeah, it's such a good question. I feel like, first of all, when somebody calls me, it's for the first time, they already know they have something more of, they have more of a problem than they don't because they're picking up the phone to a mental health resource to find out what they're going to do. And and most of the time, it's a panic the first time, realizing, I think I really have a problem. I think this person is not... can't do it anymore. This person is not getting through the day. Mm -hmm. None of us are, if they're all living under the same roof. Or, you know, I have a lot of parents calling with college kids who freshman year sort of come apart at the seams from something that might have been stewing or not and that's when the diagnosis comes they come home from school they can't go back you know they're away at college for a couple of months uh they just uh go to pieces and have to find out why and uh and that it's not just a a behavioral thing or that they don't like the school so uh the best the best is to just come up with a plan of action and, and realizing you don't, you know, the question, how do you know? You don't have to just answer that. Right. Just look into what your gut is telling you. Something is not right in your mm-hmm. mind with this person, or they might be telling you themselves. I mean, now stigma is, is coming, thank God, down a few notches that these college kids will say, there's, I'm just not, I'm not feeling right. I can't go back to school. I feel like uh, there's something that's just changed in me. Or they're quiet and they don't say anything and you can just tell that they're not coming out of the basement or they don't want to go back to school in a big way. And uh, and it's just, this is the time to look into it because it is. You don't have to know, the hat, you know that it's concrete, something's wrong. Yes. Find out why, them not, why someone's not themselves. And that can be through talking to a professional that you... Um, that you trust, a doctor, you know, you said your pediatrician, but plenty of times if, if you say to a parent, do you have a general uh, physician that you think knows your son or daughter or knows this your sibling or whoever it is? And if that's a person to start with, that's great. That's a person to start with. But otherwise, 
You can dive right into calling a mental health professional and just having somebody talk to someone and see see what a professional thinks, which you can find through, uh, if you don't know anything else about your area and professionals, you can sort through and find it through your insurance company if there's insurance, or call organizations that have to do with mental health, like NAMI. Um, it's just it's just a first step of really finding out why you think this person is not themselves. Right. Or they think so themselves. Right. Like bridging, you know, bridging the gap. That's mm-hmm. what I call it. Let's, let's bridge the gap. And, and if you take the panic down, there's, there's, there's panic in someone's voice when they call for the first time. Yes. You can hear it. You can feel it. And I feel like many times when we hang up, it's a calmer voice because someone has two phone calls to make a plan of action and the plan of action can change week to week at that point day to day day to day minute to minute but just to have some sort of plan calm somebody down absolutely i mean even when i was going through this i was just looking for somebody to help me that's Mm -hmm. what i kept saying we just listen to you and listen and understand. Mm-hmm. That, I think that's the key. Mm-hmm. Just understand it a little bit. And, and not think you're overreacting. or Right. Or, or become very critical. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, he's just a boy. Or mm-hmm. that's how boys act. Or um, you need a, a man in your life. Or, <laughs> I mean, me. whatever <laughs> they're... Or some of them even think you need religion. And that mm-hmm. will fix them. You know, um, I didn't need the criticism. I needed um, an open ear and an mm-hmm. open heart. And some some resources just guide me and I will keep going mm-hmm. yeah and you don't stop you know if you get if you get to the point a dead end and you think this is so far I don't have an answer there's always some other step to take always absolutely and now with the internet um and all these stars actors and musicians role and, models yeah mm-hmm. I mean they're really opening up about their mental health struggles, which I think... And the athletes. Look at... And the athletes, yeah. And even the telemedicine. Like, it's... Mm -hmm. You don't even have to tell anyone if you want to keep it a secret. Mm -hmm. Um, Not everybody wants to talk about their mental health struggles, but the reality is at least there's more out there for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, it's different. I, you know, not being a clinician and you not being a clinician, I think a lot of parents fear of children and, and, and probably adults taking care of whomever they suspect you don't want to necessarily tell somebody they need some medication mm-hmm. right away um i didn't want somebody telling to put my son on mm-hmm. some type of pharmaceutical mm-hmm. drugs that that I, scares it's a scary turn it's to do to try a medication it's absolutely especially mm-hmm. at a young age because it can cause other damage that we don't know about mm-hmm. and um, I so don't you need the right person to really, really evaluate, to trust it. Absolutely. Because, of course, it does help. Absolutely. So I try to guide families more toward um, seeking resources, number one, being support. Mm-hmm. Whether it's through NAMI or through another mental health advocacy group, group where they can connect with other parents and really try to hone in on that they're in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, it's amazing getting parents together, getting people together that are caregivers, for example. It's not just the sharing of what's going on, confiding in each other, that is, which is a gift in and of itself, but you so often find a good book to read or a good uh, a, a professional you didn't know about or a group 
that is good for these kids or uh, something in the schools you can do. You just it's endless. There are endless ideas, but you have to you have to get out there and talk to people. Absolutely, there's power in numbers, and mm-hmm. something I know you might not know, and something you know I might mm-hmm. not know, and the more we share, um, the the more people that can get to the proper resources. Right. Isn't that why we're doing this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think the other thing that I try to tell families is don't necessarily jump to conclusions that you're you're the person you love. I have to stop saying child. I'm just mm-hmm. um, stuck on that because of my own personal son. But, um, but that your family member... M- may not need to run out and get a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, let's look at the symptoms first. Let's see what's going on. Um, I often I advise family members to seek out an endocrinologist. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Now think about this. An endocrinologist is someone who looks at your hormones and your thyroid control. Um, and if any of that is off that can cause a lot of mood disorder. Mm-hmm. So especially with the young developing kids. Any age. Mm-hmm. I mean, that can be from young to super old. If your mm-hmm. hormones, I mean, think about women in menopause, right? Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily the happiest group of people. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I mean, we have to really look, look mm-hmm. into that and rule that out. I always say... Let's try to rule out the physiological before mm-hmm. we look at the psychological. Mm-hmm. Good point. You know, um, things like allergies or, or more recently, Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all kinds of female hormonal issues specifically, like mm-hmm. I said, menopause being one of them, but someone at a younger age, PCOS or, mm-hmm. you know, that can definitely affect mood. Mm -hmm. So we have to look into those things before we jump to conclusions to see that, oh, we need to find a psychiatrist and medicate Mm -hmm. this person or, you know, put them in a hospital because all that can be very overwhelming and scary. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's start with the basics. Yeah. And it's just knowing something is off that you're, you know, you or this person can't get through the day the same way they used to, or it's just difficult to get through. Right. And knowing just to check, check out, check something out. Right. Um, I mean, look at teenagers mm-hmm. when they're growing and changing. They're moody. Are we putting... Well, that's a very... It's a, and it's very tough to, to decipher what's going on between just mood, teenage mood and behavioral. Yes. And that there's more of a problem than that. Uh, uh, that's very tough for parents because they can go all through high school and have, you know, thinking that they have this moody child and then... Like I said before, go to college and the whole, whatever it is, rise to the top of a problem. But uh, it's just, just getting it checked out and not, like you say, not jumping to conclusions, but getting it checked out. Right. So Don't ignore. No, I've never, again, it goes back to trusting your instincts. Mm-hmm. If you think something's wrong, mm-hmm. just, just start asking questions. It doesn't hurt to ask a question, mm-hmm. ever. Uh, one of the biggest questions that I get, so I'm curious to your answer, is are we having more people diagnosed with mental health? Is there a genetic issue or an environmental issue, and how do we know? It, it's so interesting. Um, I'm lucky to have both my parents 
My mother's 90, my father's 94. They're just terrific people. And my mother is a retired teacher in the way of, she was a, a reading specialist in like K through eight. Mm-hmm. So she had kids that, some kids that struggle with all kinds of different things, and this is years ago. And she's someone that says, I can't get over the amount of kids that are diagnosed now, you know, and she, kids meaning even through 20s, it's not young yeah. kids. But is it more prevalent now than when, you know, I was a parent with you girls, my sisters and I? Or, right. And what is it? And it's, it is a huge question, but you have to think that the stigma, again, is bringing the conversation out and that, sure, there is a huge increase, but it might also be a population that just wasn't talked about like it is now. I agree. Um, and that now the conversation is just, you know, is so much more to out in the open and, uh, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, if some adolescent was going to a psychiatrist, they really had problems. Yes. That there was something wrong with this person. And now, of course, you know, it's not even close. Yeah, right. You know, and so I just feel like that's one major part. But as far as a scientific answer to that, sure, there's a lot to that. That'll hopefully be some of our guests down the road. I hope so. <laughs> Maybe they can help us figure it out. I mean, my thought on it is that there's a lot of genetics that play into it. If you look at family history, mm-hmm. um, it was not talked about, but maybe those were the people who were the alcoholics or had some type of addiction issue going. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe those were the ones um, who died by suicide. Like, mm-hmm. look into the past. Look into your your history, your family history, and seek out answers. Ask your relatives. Mm-hmm. Maybe that will give you some inclination. I also think that environmental can be a factor. Maybe we carry a gene that we don't really understand. Mm-hmm. And maybe there are things like going to college for the first time, right? You're separated from your family. Mm-hmm. I mean, you hit this magic age of 18 and you're supposed to be an adult. Mm-hmm. Not to mention what's going on in the world. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Which, um, on top you know, of We that. just had this 20th anniversary of 9-11 Mm. And, uh, you know, it was watching, I don't, I'm sure you watched some of that during, during the day or at some point, it's just to think of these kids and, uh, growing up, I think my kids were in grade school when they all had to come home and on that particular day. And you just knew, like everyone says that the world changed forever. The world these, changed. These huge, huge traumatic events are something also there is just no doubt about it and we're seeing more of it and the pandemic and um you know it's just violence through the cities Mm -hmm. i think we're going to see a whole different generation of something similar to like an urban trauma for Mm -hmm. lack of a better word there's no doubt about it so it's it's all of that um but it's uh it's tough out there for these for, for these kids it's and for adults um it's if you've got some underlying something, I think that it's a whole different world right now. Absolutely, and I think it brings it to the forefront. Mm-hmm. This is the first time in my whole life, and I'm sure yours, dealing with the pandemic, that we had to sit by ourselves essentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you live with your loved ones, but in isolation, no, you had a lot of time alone, and uh, it was definitely something. I mean, it was. I can't really complain. I feel like it was. 
um, you know, thank God our health was good, but, but I really feel like what I saw with callers that the whole, you know, first nine months of that was an eye opener. And, and callers, what do you mean by callers? Callers meaning uh, through, through the National Anthem Mental Illness, families, uh, I'm a crisis, taking all the tri- crisis calls with okay. certain affiliates. So uh, just every, and then, and then even more, your name gets out there. Um, I hear calls all the time from people that just say, I just got your name. <laughs> Do you have a minute? <laughs> and, um, and I just saw a whole change with, with a year like that. And, and not to say it's over, still going on. Um, it, was, uh, it, it was something else yeah. to be alone like that. I think it's heightened a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And my number must be next to your number because <laughs> I also get a lot of calls, you know, but we're those type of people that give our number out. Mm-hmm. Um, and they pass Badly. it to, I know, another person. And mm-hmm. and that's why we are who we are and exactly. why we're sitting here today. Um, exactly. So moving forward. We'll, we'll look forward to having some guests in the future to go into some of the details of other things. Yeah, we definitely have a lot to talk about. I mean, mental health has got so many topics to discuss. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could talk about medications and... Mm-hmm hospitalizations and coping with dating and mm-hmm. coping with raising children and it's it's endless but yeah when I to, when I told somebody recently that we were going to start this podcast they said mental illness oh yeah there's not much to talk about so <laughs> I think we have a nice there's never list. an end um well thanks Nancy for hanging okay. out with me this me afternoon too, Julie it's it always fun I know until I next time I can't wait till the next one <laughs> okay hope everyone tunes in come back bye-bye If you or someone you know is in crisis struggling with mental illness, you can call the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or the NAMI Helpline at 1-800-950-6264.